With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Tennis.com podcast. And here's your host, Ed McGrogan. Hey, everybody. Tennis.com podcast. Uh, everyone here back after the Australian Open. I'm Ed McGrogan here today with Pete Bodo and Richard Pagliaro in New York City. Um, you know, Australian Open in the rearview mirror now. It moves, the tour moves quickly to Davis Cup. We're going to get into that a little after whether we think it's really uh, justified to have the competition start right after that big tournament. But regardless, this is what the calendar gives us. And, and this weekend, starting on Friday, um, it's it's a smorgasbord of ties, eight of them in all in the world group. This may be tennis's version, if you will, of the opening round of the NCAA tournament where there's really a lot to pick from and a lot of you know potentially interesting matches. And Richard... You were uh, kind of eager to discuss a couple of them right when we started talking about this. What are some of the ties that interest you? And maybe we'll just start there and, and see where they lead us. I think if, if you look at the bottom of the draw, as the first one that int- intrigues me is uh, Switzerland hosting defending champ Czech Republic because Stepanek's out of that and obviously Federer isn't playing. For Switzerland and, and Burdich and Warinka have a really tight history. I think it's 5-4 for Warinka and a lot of Burdich's wins in that rivalry have come on clay and this is not on clay. So that's going to be interesting to see if Lucas Rosal can step up. And uh, I'll tell you another one that, that a couple I think... Of, a couple of no-name, you know, sort of speaking, no-names that when you have Rosal in a way, of course, he's going to be playing. Then there was this mention actually just recently that um, with Federer out, the Swiss actually had to bring in or use Henry Loxinen, who actually switched eligibility after representing Finland. He he lives in Switzerland. The so Finnish Swiss. Yeah. yeah. So they many, couldn't get Bogomolov, so they went. Right. right. Or uh, Jesse Levine, yeah. <laughs> yeah so, right. I mean, many players, as, you, as you're probably well aware of, do have residences in tax-friendly countries, and you can probably assume that's where that goes. So that's... You know that that's um, I guess for that tie we'll see whether it's probably a thing of whether you think Varinka maybe could perhaps have turned a corner after that Aussie Open match and then you see whether where the Czech Republic's motivation is after already winning a title and then coming back to defend it two months three months later. That's right. what I don't like about that. That coming back two months later to right. defend is kind of a you know that that's a bad deal really. They should give they should give buys in the first round I think maybe to the maybe to the finalists you know I think the uh, finalists you know, come would make back sense. on a number of weeks it would really you know give them a chance to enjoy being Davis Cup champions for a couple of months instead of having to bounce back two months later and also gives a nation and an opportunity to create a cohesive team where instead of just mixing and matter well who's available for this tie if you're telling the guys up front we get to the final you know you get a buy I mean I think that's it would encourage more people to play. I right. Think, yeah, I think uh, I guess we can get into this timing a little bit now. It, it is, um, I think, to your point. First of all, giving it to the finalists is a good idea because a lot of people have have positioned that it should be given to the just the defending champion. And I think 
just making it through three rounds to get to the final, you know, you, you put you give a lot more um, that you get a lot more value for winning those ties the previous year and get something out of it. And this first round is a, is very tricky, as we said, coming right after the Australian Open. You don't you don't always get um, players. Uh, to commit that early or perhaps even in best form. The season is so young that I, I think um, I, I think giving that added benefit to last year's finals would be a nice idea. Um, but regardless, I mean, this is a question we always go back to. I mean, do you think this starts too early in the year? Well, no, I, I don't because I'm a big Davis Cup fan. There's no other way to do it, frankly. I mean, yeah, I mean, it'd be great if they could move it in, but then you know, what do you do? Put it opposite Indian Wells or opposite Miami? You know, they just, just their options really are limited on this, and I think they really try to hammer this out as best as they can. One thing that people tend to overlook sometimes is that, look, how many of these guys have played a lot of tennis in the past 10 days? Very few of them, basically. I mean, you're, you're really talking about the semifinalists or better at the Australian Open. Right. So it's not as if, you know, everybody now has to trudge from, you know, weary Australia. Some of these guys, I'm sure, are dying to play. Guys who lost in the second round, third round, down under, they haven't had anything to do unless they play challengers if they're low low enough ranked so they would go and play a small tournament. Fine. So, I, you know, I, I don't have a problem with it. Once again, it gets back to the same old thing. If you don't want to play, you can find a million things to criticize about it. If you want to play, you show up and you say, look, it's not the best deal maybe, but here we are. Let's do it. And Davis Cup still, you know, as much as I think we focus on the top players sometimes passing up the competition, Federer is the best example. You're seeing all sorts of these examples of players who are essentially switching countries just to dying to, to play in a country where the, where their you know skills would be one of the top four or five singles players and uh you know davis cup i think for for all its things you can poke at still does have that appeal you know wide enough in tennis where it, you know it's it's a lodestone of the game still especially internationally rich i sure. mean you know these guys sure. I, mean, I call them cup sluts but you know these guys i mean you know greg rusetsky you know great example of a guy suddenly like you know, imagine being a davis cup hero in britain that's a huge thing what I remember Yuzny, remember the year that they went into France, the fifth tie, they benched Kafelnikov. Yuzny was not even that well-known of a player, and he won the cup, and that really catapulted his career. Like, go into another country, play the decisive fifth tie, and win it for your country. That's a huge, huge thing, and it gets back to what Ed was saying at the top about these, you know, the second guy on the team stepping up and really you're going to see that in Argentina this weekend because now Bandian isn't playing singles and Del Potro is out. So it's yeah, get into more of those ties. You were taught. That's one of them on the bottom of the draw. They're Germany, um, Argentina. The others on the bottom half that you just mentioned. Um, Israel, France, Germany, Argentina, Austria, Kazakhstan, and of course. I think the Germany one's interesting because Cole Schreiber just beat Monaco in Australia. Obviously, now he's going to a different surface. He's going to clay, but that's that's an interesting one because there, you know, that could be a real pivotal match. And they just played five sets. In he's Australia. a versatile guy. Kostrov was a very versatile player. Too, yeah, he is. Remember. Yeah. yeah. And, the, and another case like that is Italy, Croatia, where you have Seppi and, and Cilic who played in Australia and Seppi beat him, and now they're going to play on clay in Davis Cup again. And, you know, although Chilich has the head, uh, the edge head-to-head, that's just an interesting turnaround where you're playing the guy that, you know, right away, but it's a different surface. Let's let's move up to that, you know, where you're going to the top part. Um, the four ties up there are Spain, Canada. That's in Canada. That's obviously without Nadal. I like that one as an upset, especially because it's also without Ferrer. Right. So and Almagro. And Almagro. So you're losing the three true. heavy hitters there. It's going to be interesting. Spain and you're going into in Vancouver. On a, right. <laughs> on a fast surface against the fastest server maybe right now in the game, you know. 
I mean, Canada, I've sort of been, you know, they have a great doubles player in Nestor, and right. they, um, you know, they do have, they, I, they don't have a wealth of players, but I think they could perhaps have enough to make a, you know, a fine Davis Cup team. And, and you're right, they're going to catch a lot of breaks with Spain really sending out like its its C squad for this match here. Um, it's the upset special. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I think yeah, so. and they played. Uh, you know, they played at home last year against France. Um, lost that one. Ranch. Right, and round it. Yeah, he couldn't play the. Yeah, that would uh, be this play. would be kind of a tough one for I think Canada to go for two at home after really you know getting this top player in Raonic in their stable of pros here. Um, and it's one where the doubles could be the swing because Mark Lopez is a great doubles player for uh, for Spain. Nothing against Pospisil either for Canada, but it would have been fun to see Pelowo play this one. Their their young junior who won you know Wimbledon. Couple Grand Slam, real young guy, real coming on, coming on strong. He had to do the Gangnam Style dance, the whole dance, the whole thing. That was a good after video. Davis Cup yeah, tie. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, the guy is blooded as a Davis Cup guy now. He said, "I, I wish he was at, I wish he was there in Vancouver." And of course, we got Frankie Dantzovic in there too. So, yeah, yeah. Well, let's go. Um, let's go to the U.S.'s tie here. They're gonna, um, they're gonna play Brazil. It's in Jacksonville, Florida. CF course in a hard court. Um, First of all, can you to name? Well, you guys look in the screen, anyways. The whole the whole point was, should 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 Brazil? You know, do you think they will trouble the U.S. at all? They have Bellucci essentially, and um, they have a good doubles team. I shouldn't sell them too short on that. The U.S. is going to have Isner, but we don't exactly know his health as of right now. He pulled out of the Australian Open, uh, Query, and of course, you know, the U.S. can obviously counter any Brazilian doubles team with the Bryans of their own. So. What do you guys think about this tie? Is this potentially, you know, a real a, a clean sweep, or could this prove more, um, you know, interesting than meets the eye? Three zip U.S. Yeah, I would I would say that or or four one at the end because Bellucci's dangerous, but he tends to like the slower surfaces because he has sort of that big backswing on the forehand, and he's a lefty. But I think you're exactly right with the Bryans coming off the Australian Open title, and Isner's got to be eager, and I don't think they would go with him unless they felt he was physically right and well enough to go, you know, to best of five-set matches. And Isner typically brings his best in Davis Cup. It seems like he's a real team-oriented guy. It's true, guy. yeah. He, he definitely, I think, is is the Davis Cup guy for them, but I, I guess the only way I could see Brazil breaking into this is perhaps... Well, it's well, Bellucci wouldn't play Isner until the fourth match. They're both the top ranked guys. I, I think and he's a head I, Bellucci is a head case too. So. I think in some I think in some way Isner would have to whether via injury or just, you know, be off his game, I think sort of really falls short for Brazil to kind of have a chance in this year. And Brazil's double, they're really good doubles players. It's just the Bryans at home. They almost never lose. You know, they go back to that Croatia I saw their tie. only loss. Right. I believe at home. It was right. in North Carolina against France. And they What's lost Carson. Here, by the way, too, guys, is that you've got – You've got this team. The U.S. had this team a couple of years ago, and then Query started. Remember, they went. They played. I think they lost to Serbia maybe early on, and they, they sort of put up a decent fight. I think Isner got a set off. Joe right, Richardson. and it was on clay. And both these guys were young, and it was on clay, yeah. and they really had a good. They were like the twin towers, you know, uh, Isner, and, Isner and Query, and it was the first tie that I think Roddick, neither Roddick nor Blake had played, and stuff. So, so there was this whole sense that the U.S. David, you know, the mantle is being passed, the baton's being passed to the new generation. Then, of course, things went haywire because Query's got injured and, and Isner's, uh, you know, had problems as well. So now we're back to that. We're almost like back to square one with that, and this is like could potentially the U.S. Davis Cup team for the next six, right. seven, eight years. So, you know, uh, it, it is interesting that they come back to this and how they perform. They had good chemistry then. They I did. expect they'll have good chemistry again. It's going to be an interesting from that point and of view. And to me, Query's a guy that 
always plays better when there's a coach just to kind of straighten him out. Like, I don't think he's the best problem solver on court. He's a very talented yeah. guy, but he doesn't always seem to know the adjustments, at least from, from me, from the outside looking in. I think he's a guy that could really benefit just from having a guy like Courier, who's sort of a similar player, the big forehand, really good serve, stuff like that, really kind of sort of guide him through a match. I think that would really be beneficial to him, just sort of have someone to help him think his way through. This team, match. I mean, this team's been, this U.S. team's been battle tested. Obviously, the Bryans have, they go back a considerable ways. But even Isner and Query, I think that was a good point, bringing up that Serbia match. They've also played, um, I believe they've played at Spain on the road. Um, they've been pretty much anywhere you can, you can be put yep. around the world for Davis Cup and and if these two you know are ready to kind of really assume those two roles I, th- I think those are as Roddick and Blake showed those are roles that aren't um, you know they, they were the top two ranked Americans for a while but Davis Cup is sort of a different animal than just the ranking say it's really kind of a uh, you know you, you're either a, I think a good Davis Cup player or it just doesn't really work out that well and I think I think maybe this year is an interesting um, test for this team potentially at full strength and really, you know, we'll see what Jim Curry does after now a couple of years at the helm um, with the pulse of his team. Be there, interesting, so. the atmosphere there, Super Bowl weekend and Jacksonville, such a big football area, you know, it'll be interesting to see what the, it'll be but good. you wouldn't know Curry. that from the crowds of the Jags game. Right. Really? <laughs> right. No, no, I just mean it's such a big football community, you know, they love football down there. Last year, I think the Fed Cup was held in the uh, Super Bowl Sunday or something like that as well. So, you can probably be sure the Americans would like That's to finish it tough. off in two days. Right, yeah, right, exactly. Right. Yeah. Get the sweep so, so they can go. We'll have a Super Bowl party in just There's added motivation. I want to close, um, you know, going into – in the Serbia-Belgium tie, this is, you know, obviously Serbia Big Fair would be a huge thing if they lost. Djokovic is playing. He's really the reason I want to discuss this. Um, Djokovic, first of all, just to be playing is, is – um, I wasn't sure if he was going to do that, but he's going to go – um, he'll get Rokas to start. This is um, on indoor clay. Um, this is in. I think Belgium. he's playing, by the way, and I think he's playing because because of Yanko's out. I, you know, if it was Troisky and somebody else, if Djokovic took a pass too, there's a very good chance they lose. I would say they probably would be would. Belgium might even be favored given that Goffin is number 15 in the world. So I think Djokovic did the right thing by stepping up, saying, "Well, Yanko can't play, so I guess I got to do it." Right. Yeah. And um, the rest of that for for Belgium, Darsis, um, go fan there. For for Djokovic in general, I mean, I haven't we haven't we haven't discussed on the podcast really what you guys thought of his run. You know, his obviously his win in Australia, um, kind of how this year. Maybe maybe how that kind of affects his whole year, kind of his his upward arc for his career just continues. He's now at six slams. I think some people made good points that it uh, you know barring some really some some health scares. I think I think we really don't know how high the sky is yet for Djokovic in terms of you know his ultimate whatever he ends up doing the rest of his career. You know what did you guys think of first of all Djokovic down in Australia and maybe some thoughts on. You know where what the year shapes up like for him. I mean, right now it's it's kind of unquestioned that he's the number one. But um, you know, any additional thoughts maybe on Djokovic after Australia? Well, he's not the beast. He's not the beast he was in 2000. This is really encouraging. I think he's not the beast he was in 2011. You know, when when things are going right for a young guy like Djokovic, you know, you know, it's not that difficult in a sense. You tap into that. Things are going right. Everything's functioning. You got a good coach. You got your nutrition in order. Everything's in order. You go straight ahead. That's impressive. But then when you get after that point, when it's like, what comes next? You know, are you going to maintain that level? Not maintain that level? I think I could. 
really speaks well for Djokovic, that he struggled some. I mean, he's not the same player he was in 2011, at least not in terms of the persistent intensity and focus, yet he's finding ways to. He's winning Grand Slam titles while being less than he was, you know, in 2011, which is just very good news for him, I think. Yeah, and I mean, it's it, he's getting it when I think almost every when Murray is making that such a big jump too to become his primary you know rival at this point. We, we have to see what Nadal comes back. Um, would, would you have? Would I think it's you know it's one thing to recognize the big moments in a match. It's another thing to recognize them and then respond. And I think if you saw that final, what you saw was this guy knew at crunch time I'm going to step in. How many swing? swing volley winners did you see him hit? I mean, the guy was winning just about every big point when he moved into the court. And I think that performance, what it tells me is that he knows, look, I'm, I'm great defensively. I'm really good offensively. I can transition, but I want to be able to step in and shorten up the points because I don't want to have to play 30 shot rallies where I'm lunging and making these great gets. And, you know, being aware that, you know, Serena rolled her ankle, Lee Na rolled, you know, it's just more pounding on your body. So I think he really made a conscious effort to uh, play a little bit more aggressively, step in a little bit more into the court. And I was really impressed him taking the ball out of the air mid court and just ripping these swing volleys like it was like it was a routine. It's a very, very tough shot to take the ball out of the air, and he was doing it off the backhand too. You know, this and, was supposed and to, that impressed me. It really did. This was this was supposed to be the new Andy Murray, more aggressive. It was going to be about you know, can Djokovic defend against the new and we aggressive saw that with Andy Murray, big serve, good, big forehand. Well, I mean, we saw it with Federer. You're right. And then now here comes Djokovic. You look at the statistics on net points. Djokovic, you know, like he played three times as many as Andy did, and he right. won. He won most of them. Now a lot of people questioned that and said, you know, a lot of those were drive volleys or easy shots. But that's not the point. The point is he had a nose for coming in. The point is he wanted right. to come in. He and he's pressuring the opponent when he does that. Right. Pressuring the opponent to come in. And that, I think, boded very well for him. The guys are becoming more aggressive in terms of moving forward. Next week on the podcast, we're going to uh, switch to Clay because Nadal will actually be coming back next week in Chile. Uh, it's quite a, you know, He's going to be playing a string of tournaments in South America, the, pretty much the only Clay tournaments he's avoided through the last half decade or so of he better bring a jumbo jet to take all that money home there will be a lot of uh Some guarantees there will be a lot there, of huh? there'll be a lot of checks written before he even hits a ball that's correct um just a just a quick thought i mean after all this time off would it surprise you if he goes and wins the next three tournaments well not not be- no because of the tournaments he's playing so you know he's you know these are all 500s or lower i mean right. So wouldn't still, surprise still he's still he's been out for seven months or so. Wouldn't surprise me, but I also wouldn't panic if he ends up, you know, right third round in the first one, second, third round, fourth round, second. If he has a little trouble getting back in a group, so he, I, he has had trouble getting. Does back any, in a group I mean, in any result really wouldn't be kind of a shock either way. I think Warriors. After he kind of works his way into the schedule, that's when we can really assess him. Well, him getting blown out a couple of weeks yeah, ago that would surprise yeah, me, that but, would that's, surprise but that's not going to happen. I, you know, I, I mean, you look at his history. Traditionally, he comes back. He's successful. Yeah. I don't. He usually doesn't come back unless he feels he's good about his competitive level. So I would expect him to do well, and especially, like you said, they're, these are the lower-tier tournaments, too. 
yeah, it's um, be interesting to watch. We've you know we've seen Nadal, as you say, come back before, but this is a little different situation. And um, you know, to come back to kind of, I always like to see players play these little minor. Right, try to ease your way back instead of just jumping off the Grand Slam. You know, this high like, dive platform. This is like if know? Roger Federer played Newport. I mean, right. this is kind of the analogy here. So it's That's interesting right. to see. So we'll be back to discuss that next week in the podcast, and of course, uh, the Davis results to the them so uh, we'll chat then and uh, everything on the site in the meantime thanks for listening you've been enjoying tennis.com's weekly podcast thanks for listening for all the latest news and events head over to tennis.com